Good morning. Good morning. My name is uh, Pastor Nates. And as much as Doug emphasized before, I'd like to emphasize next week as well. I know I have greatly appreciated him and his willingness to help me through this last month or so. So he has been a great blessing to me, and I'm sure you feel much the same. So let us come and celebrate what God has done in and through him. At our staff meeting, he was talking about how he wanted to say something. And uh, I said, well, do you want to preach? And he responded, well, don't you ever ask me to preach. <laughs> but he said that in terms of, I will always say yes. So he will be, uh, will be taking a break in Galatians, I think. And uh, he will be bringing something that God has placed on his heart. Let us show that we can appreciate him. Uh, next week. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. The chance we have to just come and to worship you through singing, through giving, through offering, through the reading of your word, through the opening and preaching of your word. God, I pray that you would be continued, that you would continue to glorify yourself this very moment, this very morning. God, I pray that you'd be glorified as I preach. I want to speak of you and preach you and praise your name. God, there's no gifting that makes this turn out well on its own. So won't you turn this out well? Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Lord, please use this sermon to bring first glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. So we're continuing on in our series in Galatians called Free Indeed, taking a look about look at what the gospel is and what it means for us as a church and as a church family here. You got your Bibles, flip over to Galatians 2. I read out of the ESV, so if you got that Bible up, just you know whatever you gotta do. Push that button. In Galatians 2, we're Faced with a little bit of a, a different story, a little bit of a, a narrative begins to come out as Paul reflects upon, after 14 years, he finally goes to Jerusalem. If you remember back in, in Galatians 1, Paul didn't go to Jerusalem right after Jesus revealed himself to him. He actually went away, and then he actually went on a missions field and, and proclaimed the gospel through through all the way to like Spain. Now, this is before cars, remember? Like, he walked. If he had a stepper, he put his steps in. All for the sake of the gospel. You know, sometimes I complain about driving 15 minutes to church, and he walked. So after 14 years, he actually goes up to Jerusalem. And as I reflect upon this passage, I'm thinking to myself, you know, as often I do, my mind wanders because it's a wandering mind. All of our minds are. I can see you guys with your mind wandering. I know. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about second class uh, citizenship. I grew up in a, uh, in, a, in a good home. My mom and dad are, are uh, fantastic people. My dad actually, and this is a side note, this is my breaking point, he preached four times this weekend. My dad's not a pastor, he's an engineer. Um, but when you go to India, 
um, that's what happens apparently. So, you know, be praying for him as he recuperates from all the that. But that's a, just an amazing thing. But part of my upbringing was that I went to a private school, I went to a Christian school, and it was uniform days. Now, everyone thinks, oh yeah, uniforms, because everybody's on the same level, right? No, that's not how it works. We always find new and interesting ways of deciphering between the has and the have-nots, right? For me, uh, my hashtag first world problem situation that I had was this, is that my dad refused to spend a lot of money on shoes. Refused. Something about growing too fast. So, he always bought me the shoes from Byway. <laughs> yeah. Whatever happened to those guys? <laughs> he didn't buy enough shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. We all look the same, right? Same shirts, same pants. We all went to the same store, bought the exact same outfits. And here I am with my Bible issues. Oh. It's amazing how he, through life's just everyday things, we have this ability to uh, decipher between the has and the has-nots. The have-nots. People who have something and people who don't have something. It was weird, right? Here we are. I'm in a, I'm in a Christian school. Like, we're supposed to be professing Christians, and, and we're dividing each other into categories. And this is exactly what is happening in Galatians 2, in this first part here. Peter's addressing, or Peter, Paul is addressing this problem right now. In this first part, in these first few verses, all the way up to chapter 2, verse 10, this is what is happening. He's, he's, he's helping us understand through this chapter what happens when we lose focus of the gospel. We're all, we all do it. At some point in your life, maybe this very moment, this very morning, you've lost focus of the gospel. And Paul comes and he gives us two situations of what happens when we lose focus. As Christians, what happens when we let our eyes wander from the cross of Jesus Christ to something else, like shoes? In Galatians 2, he comes along <clears throat> in verse 1. Then after 14 years, 14 years, he finally goes up and he visits the other apostles. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. This is a funny language when you actually look at it. Taking Titus along with me. The language is actually kind of like this poor guy who's kind of been dragged there. Like Titus really doesn't want to go. And Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm taking Paul's bringing Titus for a reason, though, to prove a point, a very big, <laughs> big, big point, that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. So after 14 years, the Barnabas taking Titus with me, verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul, don't read this verse as Paul was having doubt in his gospel message. Paul had no doubt. This was 14 years later. Right? Paul, if you read through Acts, you see what Paul went through for this very message. He was stoned and thrown out of, and put in prison, shipwrecked. You know, like, he does. You know, it's the gospel. What he's hoping 
And so the same message that Christ has given him is the same message that is being proclaimed in Jerusalem. So he continues on. So as he's coming together, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain, verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, see? Poor little Titus. Was not forced to be circumcised. Though he was a Greek. So Titus, this is a big thing. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Greek. Saved by God's amazing grace. See, if you remember back in chapter 1, the, the, the people, the Judaizers, the false teachers were coming into the church, the Gentile church, saying that you must go through an action, and that action was circumcision, in order to make yourself fully a citizen of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but here's Titus. <clears throat> and he had no requirement. Paul's bringing Titus for a reason. He's showing us this, that losing focus of the gospel will bring wrong beliefs. And those wrong beliefs actually come out in our life, how we interact in our actions. That's what's happened here with these false teachers as Paul continues on. In verse 4, these false brothers, as he calls them. Yet because the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped into spy out our freedom. Oh, what amazing things. The gospel brings freedom. Don't ever forget that. That we have in Christ Jesus so that we might, be, might bring us into slavery again. These false teachers were trying, they were saying that Titus had to be circumcised. An action that was done in order to be made right before God. An Old Testament requirement. Old Covenant requirements. And if Titus had gone through this, it would have been a huge blow to the gospel if he had done this. It would have added a human requirement that's necessary for salvation. But Titus was not compliant. More than that. <clears throat> The leaders in the church in Jerusalem not only agreed that Paul was an apostle, but that his gospel had been proclaimed for 14 years was right. So whoever was coming into the church on this message, on this mission that they were being sent by the apostles was wrong. They were actually proclaiming a gospel that was counter to what Christ had proclaimed. Flash back a few sermons ago, we look at how legalism was defined as working in our own power according to our own rules to get favor with God, God's favor. Because they had lost focus of the gospel, it came out in their beliefs. They believed that they had to do something in order to be made right before God. Their beliefs created this second-class citizenship within the kingdom of God. See, circumcision is not really a big topic in the church. I didn't know if you knew that. It's not. But it sure was for them. Paul regarded circumcision as an example of the entire law. We see this in Philippians 3. 
It resented, resented uh, represented law keeping in general. Paul isn't fighting against circumcision because he was fighting. He was fighting the fundamental disagreement here that you are simply saved by God's grace and not through works. Circumcision is almost like this subcategory of something so much bigger. So your problem may not be circumcision or the Jewish law, but there's a host of things we might do that fall into this right behavior with wrong beliefs category. Having a quiet time, studying the Bible, avoiding certain sins, coming to worship on Sunday, helping other people, serving the church, all great things. All things commanded by God. But when we take those things, those actions, and say, hey, God, look, now I'm good because look at all the things I've done, Paul calls them dirty rigs. It's worse than dirty rigs if you actually do your Greek. <laughs> I can't say these words. Even if the Bible says it. See, when we take these things, we are all born with a sinful nature, thinking we can get better standing before God, and we still struggle with this, even with God, when God saves us by grace. How many times have you read your Bible to simply check it off? I found myself doing that this week. A reminder popped up, because I'm a millennial, come on. I have an app for this. A reminder popped up, oh, if you... Make sure you read your Bible today. You'll keep up your streak, it said. Yeah. And I'm like, I keep up my streak. <laughs> so I popped open the Bible app and I read it. Check. Actual check mark. And then it comes like this bigger check mark. Like, Sweet. We all struggle with this. Christians have a way. Of, of really, really, really struggling with this. And we need to fight it by daily reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we lose sight of the gospel, we begin to treat others as second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. But the answer is that we there are no second-class citizens. Even though the Judaizers were treating Titus as a second-class citizen, there is no second-class citizenship. You are either part of the family of God or you're not. There's no gray. There's no sitting on the fence when it comes to the kingdom of God. You either are or you're not. How could there be? Every Christian is saved exactly the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There can be no discrimination in the church. The church cannot exclude people from salvation on the basis of race or gender or class or age or anything else like shoes. Because we're all saved by God's grace. The church cannot even discriminate on the basis of relative righteousness. Oh, and we're good at that. Right? Oh, I, I haven't done that. Oh, I don't struggle with that one. Oh, I come better dressed than that person. We have this really good way of ranking sins. If someone is struggling with pride and lust, well, that's okay. 
who isn't. But someone who's battling with depression, or whose marriage is falling apart, or who is tempted to commit homosexual sin, and that's worse. Or who is addicted to drugs, they better keep it quiet if they want to keep their status within the church. People will know that he or she does not really belong. The church is full of brokenness. This is something that the Judaizers have forgotten. When they lost focus of the gospel, they began to make a tiered system within the church. You know, in India, Christianity is exploding. Did you know that the church is actually growing in amazing ways in the East and the South? Like, it's just amazing what God is doing. But in India, it's one of these cool things. Because in India, they still have a caste system. People are just flocking to the gospel. You got rich, you got poor, people of different classes coming together as one body worshiping the same God, all saved by His grace. The false, te false teachers had lost focus of the gospel, and it came out in their beliefs. And as Paul says in verse 9, he says this. And when James and Cephas and, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should be, go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The right hand of fellowship means I agree. We agree together. We are part of the same family. We do this even in church membership, the right hand of fellowship. When we come together as church members, that's what we're doing. We're, we're agreeing. The false brother's message was not the same that the apostles preached. This is significant because it shows that neither Paul nor the Jerusalem apostles had to change their gospel message. Nothing changed. But there were a full agreements. This is an example of right behavior with wrong beliefs that is happening here that Paul is addressing in these first 10 verses. Faith in Christ alone will naturally come out in our actions. Because let's not forget this. In verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. See, because proper belief comes out in our action, right? A church that's in love with the gospel, a person that is in love with the gospel just doesn't sit in a pew on a Sunday. They go out into the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is broken, but not only that, but relieve some of the physical ailments that are around us. In Canada, we're blessed to be in this country. Most of our social programs were started by the church before the government took them over. It comes out to remember the Paul, poor, Paul's concern for the poor, as evidence here is, is in accord with the, the broader principle demonstrated throughout the Bible, that genuine preaching of the gospel in every age must be accompanied by the meeting of physical needs as well. If I go up to someone and I say, hey, you know what, you need Jesus dead. Let me tell you about how awesome Jesus is. You're a sinner in need of God's amazing grace. But you're hungry, right? But, you know, we'll take care of that later. It doesn't make any sense. 
God has a heart for the poor and the widows and the marginalized. So losing focus of the gospel will bring about wrong beliefs. But you can't discount behavior. A true faith in Jesus Christ will bring about the right behavior as the Holy Spirit continues to work in and through you. So as we look into 11 on to 14, we see that losing focus of the gospel will bring wrong actions. This is an amazing thing here, this passage. Paul and Peter, it's like an MMA fight. It's like the two heavyweight champions coming together in the arena. Paul. Oh, Paul and Peter both probably struggle with big egos too. Peter had forgotten these verses, as Paul says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Yeah. Here we go. Because he stood condemned. What? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Here Paul was in the church of Antioch. He was sitting with other people who were not Jewish, eating their food. You know what that means? He was enjoying God's gift of bacon. Amen. And ham and cheese sandwiches. By God's grace, thank you. He was sitting with these Gentiles. He was doing exactly what the law of God said not to do. Because he understood at that moment as he was interacting with the church in Antioch that he was saved by God's grace. That Christ came to fulfill the law to save us from that. So that we can rest in him. So here's Peter enjoying that. Because you remember, if you remember your church stories, Peter was praying in Acts. And God sends a vision, a dream during the day while you're awake. That's what a vision is. It's my, it's my favorite one, really. Because here's this blanket full of all what is unclean coming down. And God says to Peter three times, Peter in three, I don't know, says, what I have made clean is clean. And he tells Peter to go and witness to the people that are about to knock on this door. God uses these circumstances to bring a guy like Cornelius and Acts to, to saving faith. So Paul had a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to understand that as we look into this passage, because how is Paul or Peter standing condemned? Because he's being a hypocrite. He's been told by God what is clean, what is unclean is clean. That's why he's enjoying the bacon. Or whatever they were eating then. And he comes, and all of a sudden, when certain people come from the church, come from James, who's another apostle, he goes, ooh, I gotta put on a good show. I gotta make sure I look pretty before these people. And he begins to withdraw himself from the church in Antioch. But the problem is, is that when he's withdrawing himself 
from that, other people begin to follow. On a bit of a rabbit trail, I was told never to do these, but I'm going to do it anyways. This is a principle for leadership. I'm a pastor. I'm called to shepherd. I'm called to lead. At the end of the day, there's rule of thumb, okay? There's give and take. At the end of the day, the church begins to reflect who I am as I lead. I build for deacons, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, worship leaders, all of that. As leaders, it's important to make sure that our life emulates the gospel of Jesus Christ so that when people are following us, they are following the gospel. Back on track. So Peter comes and he opposes. Sorry, Paul comes and imposes Peter to his face because he's being a hypocrite. Paul, Peter had lost focus of the gospel. And Paul is going to be the one who's going to remind him of it. And he does that very well. Paul saw that Peter's behavior threatened the gospel of justification by faith alone because it implied that all Christians had to live like Jews in order to be justified, to be made right before God. See, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but stopped. And then verse 14 comes along. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is right belief with the wrong behavior. Peter had lost focus of the gospel that had saved him. And it was coming out in his actions and how he treated other people. We don't have the same issues, right? Because we, there's going to be a potluck in two weeks, and I guarantee you there's going to be probably something there that's of poor origins. And, and. Whole <laughs> pork. Oh. Do we see what happens when we lose sight of the gospel? When we lose sight of the gospel, it changes how we treat one another. There is a lot that are wealthy, self-indulgent lifestyles that, that is in line, that is not in line with the truth of the gospel. If someone came to preach the good news of the gospel uh, to the poor and the powerless, but then ignored the poor and the powerless, that's out of line with the gospel. A true belief in the gospel creates consistency in one life. I'm not saying that you don't mess up. Don't hear that. That's why we're saved by grace. Because you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. You're going to rebel. But there will be consistency, and you will hate that sin, and you will murder it. Because Jesus is better. If someone is a follower of Jesus but is still living in sexual morality, there's hypocrisy. Because it is out of the good news of the gospel that we begin to change. 
or they talk or teach about loving Christ, the love of Christ, but not really loving the brother and sister that they sit beside on the pew the same way. I hope you see that there's a different correlation between your profession. I hope you see that there is a direct correlation between your profession of faith and your expression of grace to the hopeless. That's important. It's not legalistic for Christians to confront sin and hypocrisy. We see it right here with Paul and Peter. When we lose focus of the gospel, it gives us the wrong perspective and the wrong motives. But there's a wonderful thing that comes out here that Paul reminds us of in verses 15 to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Essentially, Paul comes along and says, we can't even get it right. <laughs> we need God's grace just as much as everybody else. Yet we know that the person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, you catch that? No one will be justified. We are justified by faith. And faith alone. Paul is being very forceful here. He is driving home the point that justification is indispensable in terms of how we think of the gospel and the Christian life. So let me define justification. Because I realized the other day that I haven't been doing a good job of that. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares sinners righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel brings the right belief with the right behavior because it reminds us that we are justified by God's gracious act. Think of Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servants, for no one living is righteous before you. The gospel brings the right belief and the right behavior because it reminds us that justification is the gracious act of God, that we have been made right before him. Think about this. I, I know all I haven't. I'm sure some of you have to go to traffic court. Never done. I'm actually being serious. I've never done. I didn't say I didn't get a ticket, but I've never been to traffic court. <laughs> I got a ticket. I own it because I own it. <laughs> some people go to the traffic court. And uh, you, get the, you get to be before the judge. And you're standing there before the judge, you're giving some sort of poor excuse as to why you shouldn't have to pay the ticket. And you know it. You're standing there, you know that you were 30 over the speed limit. Or that you went through the red light, you know. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. You know. Come on, guys. And then you look at the judge, and you can tell by look on his face that he knows. Because there's security cameras. They saw you. 
and the police officer who actually signed the ticket decided to show up? He knows. He knows you're guilty. But then he comes along and he says, I'll pay for it. No, that's what justification is. It's a lot worse. We stand before the holy judge. God knows our sin. He knows every ounce of what we did. What you're thinking right now that is counter to, to what we're called to as Christians. What you did last night. Whatever. He knows it all. He knows it all. And he says, I will make it. So when I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm resting in the work that he has done for me. That is what justification means. God takes a sinner, a guilty sinner, and declares him right. And that's what Paul begins to say here, justified by faith. The gospel brings the right motives because justification is solely through the faith in Jesus Christ. In verses 18 and 19, you see this, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. The gospel brings this right thing, brings tension into our actions and our beliefs. Not only are we justified by faith, but we live by faith. There isn't any room for praying a prayer and supposedly trusting in Jesus and then living your life the exact same way you did before you prayed that prayer. Faith isn't just for receiving salvation. It's also for enabling us to live out our salvation. We live every day, every moment as by faith, as verse 12, 26. Dying to the law, living by faith. So what? Pastor Nate, I don't care. Well, what's this mean to me? So what? This comes out in what we do. What happens when we lose focus of the gospel? We become a passionless church. We become a passionless church. Right? We serve passionless. <clears throat> We become harsh to one another. We complain about things that don't matter, or better yet, are counter to the gospel. But when we have the right belief with the right behavior, which comes out in faith in Jesus Christ, everything begins to change. Because look at this, folks. Because again, I'm a pastor, right? You know what the wonder, you know what's one of the hard things? Just doing everything out of a sense of duty. Not for what Christ has done for me. Because think about how the gospel affects us. Affects you and affects me. I was an object of God's wrath, as Ephesians 2 says. That was my designation. That was who I am. That was my identity. And that wonderful three-letter word, but God took me out of that. He calls me a child of God. How does that not boil out in our lives? 
We are children of the living God. If you lack passion in serving, if we lack passion in the church as we worship God, it is because we don't, we've lost focus of the gospel. It judges everything we do. Walking across the street to tell Billy that he needs Jesus is because of what God has done in our life. Having a smile every once in a while is because of what Jesus has done for us. That's how Paul comes along and he says, I, I know what it means to want. I know what it means to, to, to need things and to have everything. It means nothing. Because of what God has done for me. What an amazing thing. What happens when we lose focus of the gospel is we become passionate. But when we lose, when we refocus ourselves, we treat each other as God has treated us. Think about that one for a second. We love each other as we have been our love ourselves. There's no need to complain anymore because why? We've got the best gift possible. Salvation. And that could never, ever, ever be taken away. So how do we keep the gospel in focus so that we will have the right perspective? By being in the gospel yourself. Immerse yourself in the Bible. There are great resources out there to help you do that. We need to gather together as a community to, to worship our God and to reflect upon his grace and his mercy and just stand in awe of what he has done for us. So we can sing songs like Hallelujah. Praise God. You know what's also a side thing? Do you know sharing the gospel is also a great way of keeping yourself focused on the gospel? I love it. it scares me to death. Oh, it scares me. I'm not a very, you know, I'm shy. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. I'm there and I get the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, you can feel it rising up within your soul. God is so great. Oh, and who am I? Who am I? The other day I, had to, I got the chance to do that with my optometrist. You know, started with, he's from Pakistan, my neighbors in Burlington were from Pakistan, so we talked about samosas. Love samosas. He's like, oh, what do you do? This is usually the question that either makes people really quiet or makes the conversation keep going. And he says, oh, I'm a pastor. He's like, what's a pastor? Well, here we go. Let's get it on now. So maybe in two years, I'll have to go back. <laughs> I might remember. Sharing the gospel helps us keep us focused. Being in the gospel of Jesus Christ and reading it. This isn't just a checklist. I read the gospel because it reminds me of who I am and what God has done for me. That he is faithful. From Genesis to all the way to Revelation, he is faithful. And he keeps his promises. And the hope is true. It is true. Get into the Bible and read it, because do you feel like your faith is weak? 
It is owing to the fact that you don't know the object of their faith very well. But when Jesus Christ becomes progressively bigger, or better yet, your understanding of who he is progressively conforms to reality, your faith will become increasingly stronger. But how does this happen? By immersing yourself in the faith-arousing word of God, read of Christ. The same powerful word that long ago brought the universe to life is the same word that can bring you to life and furnish you with faith that is truly and authentically Christian. Keeping the gospel in focus gives us the right perspective so that we will have the right beliefs and motives. Losing Focus of the gospel will bring wrong beliefs. Losing focus of the gospel will bring wrong actions. But having the gospel in focus gives us the right belief and the right actions. Immerse yourself in the gospel. Let's be a church that's just so in love with it. Let's show in our lives, individually and corporately, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better. It is of first importance. Let's continue to worship him. The God who saved undeserving sinners called us into his family.